All right, back with you. We move away from uh, the Senate well, where the questions are being asked during uh, President Trump's impeachment trial, and move to talking live with uh, Congressman uh, Hill, who uh, is up in D.C. Today, I don't know if you saw it or not, but on television, they carried it live, and the president signed the uh, USMCA, the uh, updating of... uh, you know, our trade agreement with Mexico and Canada, it was a huge, huge deal. I mean, major deal. And it means, uh, I think the president said about an extra 1.2% growth in our GDP. And when you're talking trillions of dollars, you're talking a lot of money. And so let's talk to the congressman about that. Farmers got to be really happy about this because uh, the farm part of the uh, USMCA is very, very uh, you're going to help farmers here in the United States. Hey, Dave, thanks for having me. Yeah, this was a big day today and a big week. Um, obviously, Mexico was there with the president to see it signed. Yep. And uh, on Monday, Canada began the ratification process this week. So hopefully here in just a few days, we will have a brand new updated trade arrangement between Canada, the U.S. and Mexico for the first time in 24 years. And I'd say, yeah, American agriculture is a winner. Uh, Dairy and wheat and chicken and eggs and turkey, all those products are now uh, open in Canada, something that was not a part of the original NAFTA. And I really think President Trump's main issue was trying to get more manufacturing in the three countries made here. And so in the auto market, he moved up the American component of the three countries substantially. And so I think you'll see more auto part companies uh, locate on this side of the border. I think that's good. And down in Mexico, they have real changes on uh, wages uh, for Mexican workers who are working along the uh, Mexican border. And that also will help Americans by not encouraging that uh, movement south because they'll be paying a more competitive wage with the United States. Yeah, and that's that's really, really good news here in our country. By the way, did you happen to hear one of the people that were there today at the signing of this? It was uh, James Hoffa, Jimmy Hoffa's son, because he's still head of uh, – uh, you know, the union. And so mm-hmm. he w- he was there for the signing of this thing, and he was all smiles today. Well, he's, he's got name brand awareness on streaming now. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah, the truth. you know, I have to say, I mean, as a conservative free trader, I have to tell you that uh, this deal is a better deal than NAFTA with lots of improvements, but it was a compromise. And so you have free traders standing in the Rose Garden. You have uh, labor representatives, and that just shows you how hard the president worked to get a deal that Mexico, Canada, and the United States could support. And I think, Dave, honestly, it's the um, biggest bipartisan vote in the House that I can think of in any trade issue in in decades, not years, but decades. You know, what drove me nuts is that uh, Pelosi got up in front of the microphone today and it was like, look what we've done for the American people. It, yeah, it, right. I can't. I can't she, she, yeah, it's unbelievable. She held it up for a year 
she didn't make a major change. She did have some tweaks, but look, those core um, manufacturing provisions, those core labor provisions were provisions that President Trump wanted and laid out at the very beginning of the process through his ambassador, Robert Lighthouser. So, you know, look, uh, success has a thousand fathers, and let's uh, <laughs> accept that and move on because this is great for American workers. It's great for folks in Arkansas, and it's good for our, our GDP in the next decades to come. Well, and And look, it reasserts that President Trump can negotiate trade deals successfully, point one. Point two, it reasserts a, a, a position that he's taken that's right, which is nobody can outcompete Americans if we have a level playing field. Mm -hmm. And I think you'll see uh, European and Asian companies uh, come to Mexico, Canada, and the United States to take advantage of that. Yeah, I, I think that you're right. Be even Chinese companies, i got to believe, when you look at some of the shoddy workmanship that comes out of China, Let's move over to something that really is just kind of boggled me uh, yesterday, and that's when the president unveiled this uh, Middle East peace plan. Uh, you know, I don't know if the Palestinians are going to take advantage of it. I would hope that they will because it seems to me it's a, it's a pretty good deal for them to actually find a place amongst the world's governments. What do you think? Well, there's uh, an old expression that the Palestinians never miss an opportunity to miss an opportunity. <laughs> and uh, that's not meant to be sarcastic. It just means that it's true. there is never an ability for Israel and for other parties who care to have a reliable party to negotiate with. I mean, President Bush worked his tail off on it. President Clinton worked his tail off on it. President Obama made it worse. His policy was very poor with Israel and with the Palestinians, so there was no nothing accomplished during the Obama days except going backwards. Mm -hmm. But Trump wanted to tee up what he calls the opportunity of a lifetime, not the deal of a lifetime, but the opportunity of a lifetime, where with playing uh, much more no appeasement, in the past, people have tried to buy Palestinian loyalty, buy Palestinian negotiations. And President Trump said, look, if you want a two-state solution, I support a two-state solution. That's been a major international goal. But you're not going to buy it. These parties, Fatah, which is run by Abbas in the West Bank, and Hamas, which is really just just run by, it's a terror organization. Yep. I mean, they don't even get along with the Palestinians, which is why the Israelis have made no progress in well over 10 years. Um, if you want a state, you are invited to form a state. And what we ask you to do is live peaceably, peaceably with your neighbors. The question is, can Fatah create a political coalition to do that? Because Hamas, of course, is sworn to never do that. But I appreciated the president uh, making new proposals here, uh, including capital for the Palestinian state in East Jerusalem, uh, very careful, balanced access to all the holy sites in Jerusalem, uh, four years, no West Bank settlement expansion. So the peace opportunity, the two-state opportunity is on the table for the Palestinians to grab. And it's not a it's not an immediate thing. They can grab it in the years to come. 
Yeah, I you know I agree, and here's my other thing that I that I think we need to remember. You know, everybody downplayed that this president could do the USMCA. Everybody downplayed that he could get something out of China. Downplayed that he could get Japan on board and a lot of these other trade deals. I'm not going to put anything out of this guy's reach. I mean, he's he's not afraid to do the ask. You know, you got to ask. You got to present. And then hope something um, somebody will stick with it and it will move forward. Well, he's honoring his commitments to our ally Israel. We have our embassy in Jerusalem now. Uh, we are not allowing uh, payments to go to the Palestinians. We're saying, look, if you want a two-state solution, step up, form a government, get unity, and let's let's negotiate. Uh, yeah. That really hasn't been done, and hasn't had the opportunity to be done. So there's new ideas here uh, that I think are um, a real change in the thought process. I will say there were Gulf, Arab Gulf states present at that announcement yesterday publicly. So let's uh, hope for the hope for the best, but it's not an immediate thing. But again, President Trump, I think, has demonstrated he's kept another campaign promise, which is that he would move the American embassy to Jerusalem, and he would put forward a Palestinian-Israel two-state solution and do it in a new and creative and different way. And I would argue that he's done that. So before we go to our break, let me ask this question. Yesterday, the president had a big one of his big rallies, this one in South New Jersey. 175 people asked for, or 175,000 people asked for tickets for only a 7,000-seat venue <laughs> Absolutely amazing. This is New Jersey. Now, I understand southern New Jersey's more conservative than northern New Jersey, but the president announced that he's going to come back to the Meadowlands, and that's northern New Jersey, and do another one. Amazing. I mean, all I can say is amazing. I uh, have watched this from the very beginning as President Trump entered the political arena with uh, sheer uh, amazement as somebody who's worked in presidential politics before, watched it at hand, and it is an amazing, amazing phenomenon to see candidate Trump and who stands in line in freezing weather for 48 hours to get a ticket yeah. or not get a ticket, stand in line anyway. Yeah, know that you're not going to get a ticket. In fact, right. I mean, yeah. <laughs> unbelievable. And they had the big screens out for them and the people hung around and the the people who had the restaurants that usually are shuttered right now opened up and they made some good money yesterday. Wintertime on the boardwalk. That Absolutely. Not, doesn't happen in South Jersey much. No, doesn't. All right, let's take a break. We'll come back. Congressman French Hill is with us from District 2. We're going to preview the State of the Union. We'll be carrying that live for you next Tuesday right here on 101.1 FM, The Answer, home of Rush Limbaugh. All right, back. We only have about, uh, well, I'm looking at it, about uh, eight minutes with the congressman right now. Congressman, have you heard the story out that it looks like it might be a bipartisan vote to find the president not guilty? It looks like there's three Democrats now that are moving that way to vote with Republicans for acquittal. Does that surprise you? You know, it, it doesn't really surprise me. We had a bipartisan vote here in opposition of impeachment. I noticed on the news cycle that no one seems to ever mention that, but we did have uh, Democrats uh, 
vote with the Republicans opposed to the articles on the House floor. Not many. Uh, two plus one abstention. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then one can change parties. Right. Andrew switch parties. But it doesn't surprise me because I don't believe that uh, the House managers, as I've said for months now, have proven a case of behavior that deserves removal from office, which is the question before the Senate. And I've been over twice today sitting in the Senate chamber listening uh, in between meetings to the Q&A. There was no distinguished pattern in the questions the senators were asking today. Um, But this is a very important phase where we are, Dave. I think uh, I was speaking with Governor Hutchison and he was telling me a little bit about his experience as a House manager during the Clinton impeachment, and he said that the questions were where the real the Senate body comes together in terms of uh, analyzing where they're going to be on this important vote, whether or not to accept witnesses and whether or not to uh, move for a dismissal of the articles. You know, I, I have to tell you, it still amazes me that there are some Republicans that will go against their caucus and think that they want to have witnesses. I don't I just don't understand it. Can you walk us through what's going on maybe politically? Maybe you have a little bit more insight than than I do. I mean, you're there in DC while where it's all happening. Well, I'm also trying to do my job over on the other side I got of the you. Capitol, and I don't profess to be a constitutional lawyer, but I will say this. The House process was unfair. I think that can be documented. It was not comparable to the Watergate or Clinton process. They rushed it because they said they had to rush it because President uh, Trump was a threat. And they did not build out a case with thorough work. And so there are many holes and uncompleted parts of their case. And therefore, they're relying on secondhand information and innuendo, et cetera. So in the Clinton case, there was a special independent counsel, Ken Starr, that went on for months. So all these witnesses were deposed and developed uh, in the Clinton case under Ken Starr's independent counselship. When the Senate then commenced, commenced a trial for President Clinton, there were no new names that came up. There were three witnesses. They'd all been deposed during the independent counsel process. They simply came back and granted depositions in the Senate. So they Mm -hmm. weren't new names. They weren't new surprises. People didn't know what they, people knew what their positions were. And so at the fundamental part here, I think to ask for witnesses is to say the House did a terrible job in managing the investigation and the, um, grand jury portion of this activity and that's because they chose to do it the way they did well we've got a couple of more moments we're going to carry the uh, state of the union message live on tuesday night right here on 1011 fm the answer your thoughts about what the president uh will be talking about i mean he's got a he's got a roaring economy he's got a lot of great things that are happening he's he's kept campaign promises He's reached out to the Democrats at times, and they've kind of slapped his hand away, of course, but uh, he has reached out, and he may be acquitted before the uh, State of the Union. 
So how important is it, and what are some of the things that you think he'll tackle? I think this is an important speech for him. Uh, It's the end of his third year as he goes into his fourth year in office as president, obviously into a re-election. And I think he will spend a significant amount of time, Dave, talking about what he campaigned on in 2016 and what he's gotten done and what unfinished work remains for a second term and what he would initiate if the American people gave him a second term. What would he tackle? I hope he'll tackle mandatory spending programs and focus on reforming all the long-term safety net programs so that we can have them there for ourselves and our kids. And at this rate, they won't be. I think that's an important topic. I think he ought to reform government even more than he has so far. So there's a big agenda ahead for him, but I think he'll focus on the economy. I think he'll focus on rebuilding the military. I think he'll refocus on resetting trade to advantage American farmers, producers. I think he'll talk about the workforce, uh, that we've never had more people working in America than now. So I believe he has a great opportunity to talk about what he's gotten done in the three years with Congress and what he would hope to do if he were granted a reelection by the American people. Yeah, Congressman, one of the things that the president had talked about and really hasn't been able to get it, it's been a non-starter, so to speak, is reaching out to the Democrats and talking about building the infrastructure of America. Do you think he'll talk about that for his second term? I do. I know Nancy Pelosi proposes an infrastructure plan this year. I know the committees are working on it. And as you and I have talked, we have a highway bill we need to get to done this year. Yep. I'm sure he's disappointed by that. He's gotten some regulatory reforms done. He's gotten about $50 billion in public-private partnerships authorized. He's done some big projects, but it's really not what he anticipated. So I'd be very interested in what he would set as a goal there. There's been a lot of rhetoric on that topic, both from President Trump and from the Democratic leadership in the House. And let's see what's in the world of doable, I think, is the right right question on infrastructure. Last question for you. The president, let's say he's acquitted on Friday because it looks like the momentum is moving towards the Republicans not calling witnesses and then the vote for acquittal coming up on uh, Friday. Uh, what's your thoughts? Where? What do the Democrats do the rest of this year as we move towards the election? And Bernie Sanders now seems to be getting wind in his sail, pushing him forward. Right now, polls are showing him up in Iowa, up in New Hampshire, up in California. I don't think anyone in the Democratic Party really thought that that was going to happen. Is is this a nightmare for them now? Well, I think it could be. I've seen them do nothing but messaging bills, either trying to restrain the president's ability to conduct foreign policy or uh, block his ability to increase border security on the southwest border uh, or reverse his regulatory and, and tax improvements. I think you'll see more of that. Um, but as you say, this over the next uh, month and f- I say five weeks, mm-hmm. uh, because California has moved their primary up. So I think we're going to have some indication on uh, the direction of the Democratic Party and the campaign here before, you know, too long early in March after Super Tuesday. And um, that could give us opportunities in the House uh, to uh, have some very strong contrasting debates about 
what the uh, uh, socialism, far-left policies of the Democratic nominees are proposing, if, in fact, they choose to go that direction. Yeah, I, everybody should remember that if uh, you're a Democrat and you win Iowa and you win New Hampshire, those two primaries, you win uh, the be flag-bearer for your party. That That's always happened. It will be interesting to see if history continues uh, to follow what it's done in the past. All right. We got to let you go there, Congressman. It's been great. Thanks, next, great to be with next you. Next time we talk, it'll be seven oh six in the morning next Wednesday. We'll talk to you then. All right. So Dave Ellswick show. We have standing in the in the shadows and waiting to come on more guests here on Dave Ellswick show. So stick around. Don't forget five o'clock. We'll give you a little bit more of the question and answers going on in the Senate. On the Dave Ellswick Show, 101.1 FM, the answer home of Rush Limbaugh, Sean Hannity, Jay Sekulow, and of course, Dave Ellswick. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.